It comes from the 103rd Psalm, Psalm 103. In this psalm, it's one of those familiar psalms. The psalmist begins by just rehearsing in his own soul the many benefits that comes from God, uh, knowing that he is pardoned of all his iniquities and so forth. And then starting here at verse 6, he begins just to rehearse in his mind who God is and some of God's wonderful attributes as he is righteous, as he is compassionate and gracious. Again, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Will you stand with me if you're able and please uh, call one another to worship with this responsive reading this morning. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Now I ask that you take your hymns of grace. I've missed number seven in the hymns of grace. Number seven, sing praise to the Lord. Praise Him in the height. Number seven, hymns of grace.
grace and mercy we can assemble again this Lord's Day morning as your adopted sons and daughters because we have been washed clean of our sins by our loving Savior. We rejoice that we are not our own, but we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of the Lamb of God, our Lord Jesus. And so it is in his name we invoke your presence and ask that you bless our time together as we seek to worship you, as we seek to honor and glorify you as the one true and living God. Lead us and teach us and sanctify us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray, as your word is preached and read and sung this hour. Grant that we, your redeemed people, be grieved by our sin and confess it and forsake it and be cleansed of it. And for any among us who are yet outside of Christ, may you be pleased, our Father, to use the power of your word to cause them to be born again and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sin, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Conform all of us to the image of Christ, for it is in his great name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now again, in your hymns of grace, what has become one of my favorite hymns, hymn 181, His Robe for Mine. This morning I come walking out of the room and my wife had this playing in our house. And then in Sunday school we had it played uh, for the prelude. It's just a wonderful hymn to sing, hymn 181.
Well, our consecutive reading through the New Testament this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 13. John 13. And I was going to read it without comment, but I changed my mind because I did want to say something that I uh, had read in uh, one of the commentaries. And it appears that uh, the Holy Spirit... Uh, through the Apostle John here, is emphasizing how much, which is everything, that Jesus knew. You see that phrase, he knew, he knew, um, as we read. And as in his uh, imminent betrayal and uh, Peter's denial, and even though the cross is not mentioned, in the passage, its it shadow looms over the passage. And so all that he knew in light of all that, his concern was what? His love for his own and that they would love each other and his zeal for the glory of God. So John chapter 13, hear now the word of the living and true God. Now before the feast of the Passover... Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and he was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit, And testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. 
The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. And there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? And then Jesus then answered, That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into him. And therefore Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him, for some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, Buy the things we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. And therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Now then again this morning, let us seek our God together in prayer. We especially want to remember the Trinity Baptist Church in Hong Kong with Pastor Chung. Let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are for the wonderful promise that we have in your word. You told the disciples not to let their hearts be troubled. They believe in God, believe also in you. You promise that you go to prepare a place for us, that where you are, we may be also. And Father, we look forward to that day when we shall be in your presence. And there we shall be for eternity. And yet, Father, how thankful we are that you've given us this opportunity to gather together corporately to worship you because even as we come together as a community of believers who have gathered to exalt and glorify our Father together, we have the promise that you're there in the midst of us. And so we do pray that as we come together, we will know of your presence among us. Father, do not leave us alone, but come by your Spirit and, and help us to worship you aright so that you are glorified, that you are lifted up in all that we do and say. As we sing, may our singing exalt your name. As we pray, Father, may we recognize your dependence, our dependence upon you for all things. 
As we give, may we give in a way that brings honor and glory to your name, recognizing that we are but stewards of what you've given to us. As we hear your word, Father, may we come with hearts that are prepared so that the seed of the word, whether read or preached, would fall upon hearts of good soil that it might bring forth good fruit for you. Father, as we express that to be our desire here in this place, we would pray the same this morning wherever your word goes forth by men who faithfully proclaim that word. And we thank you especially for the fellowship, the partnership, the relationship that we have with brethren around the world. And this morning we think of the church there in Hong Kong. And thank you for planting that church there. We pray that you would be with Pastor Chung as he seeks to shepherd that flock. Father, we pray that you might bless his labors there to the end that others might be added to their number, such as are being saved. We know that one of his requests is particularly that men might come in among them, men who might one day labor as deacons and elders in that place. But Father, we know that Pastor Chung's labor is not just there at Trinity, but you've given him opportunity to minister in many other places there in that country, and we pray your blessing upon that as he labors for the advancement of your kingdom. Help him to be a man who diligently keeps his own heart above everything else and give him the strength that he needs as he labors for the advancement of your kingdom. Now, Father, again, we commit our time in your word to you and pray that you would help us to give attention. Where there is sin, may we be quick to confess and forsake it. Where by your grace we're making progress, May we, by the help of your Spirit, continue on. So, Father, draw near to us in our time in your word as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before we come to open the word of God, take the Trinity hymn book, the Trinity hymn book, hymn 271, a hymn that speaks of the church of Jesus Christ. It is a sweet and just awesome place. Our text says awful place. It's the idea. It's just a sobering place to be when God is pleased to meet with his people. 271, the Trinity hymn book.
First Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13. I want to begin reading at verse 4 this morning. 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous and does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked does not take into account does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth bears all things believes all things hopes all things and endures all things and that's where we will stop our reading this morning We come now to that section of this wonderful chapter that deals with a description of love. We have already looked at the first three verses in which Paul sets before the believers there in Corinth the priority of love. He tells the church there at Corinth, that your actions alone, that is, your actions void of right motives or right attitudes can be offensive, worthless, and useless. You can speak with a heavenly language. You could have all knowledge and and all faith so that you can remove mountains. You can give everything you have and everything you are. But all these actions, void of love, all you have produced is good works done in an evil way. That's sobering. All these wonderful deeds done, but without love, they're done in an evil way. So you see, Paul, when he, when he now comes to address the more excellent way, which is the way of love, he begins, he begins with the heart. He begins with the reality That genuine believers have been transformed by the work of the Spirit. There's been a change. And that this is the priority that Paul puts upon all of our actions. They must be motivated and done in love. And Paul writes that under the inspiration of the Spirit. Now, starting at verse 4, Paul moves, what we might say is this, Paul moves from the heart to our behavior. And verses 4 through 7, Paul addresses how love for others behaves itself 
and how it is expressed in the life of the believer. How this transforming work of the Spirit in our hearts is manifested in our daily walk. Which makes us what? More like our Savior. More like Jesus Christ. And as we go down through this list, let me say this. It is not my purpose to ruin your Lord's day. It is not my purpose to have you leave here in a spirit of despair or shame. I mean, look at what it says. Love is patient. Love is kind. Which one of us is fulfilling that command fully? I'll confess, I came up from my study one day this week and I looked at my wife and I said, this is going to be a difficult message. And she says, why? And I said, love is patient. And she only smiled, but I knew what she was thinking. Yeah, the Waldens aren't known for their patience. That's true. But it is not my desire... To have you have a spirit of guilt. But, but it is my prayer for me as well as you is that through our study we will look at God and seek by the grace of God and the work of His Spirit in our lives to pursue and grow in these areas to the glory of God. I, I need to grow in these areas. And so we start this morning looking at love is patient. I believe the King James as well as the New King James says, suffers long. One translation puts it this way, never tires of waiting. You see, the church at Corinth seemed to lack patience. There was a lot of conflict going on. They, they were taking one another to court. They, they weren't waiting on one another, even when it came time to eat. They were only concerned about having what they thought was the more prestigious, visible gifts. And how they treated one another wasn't always something that we want to follow in fact, Paul says of them in chapter 3, he speaks of them, and he says, he speaks to them not as spiritual men, but as to infants in Christ. When Paul thought of the church at Corinth, he thought of a bunch of babies. And one thing I've learned about babies, they don't have a lot of patience. When they're ready for something, they're ready for it. And you guys look at them and say to them, give me a minute. And they don't look up and say, yes, Mommy. No, they just scream louder because they want it. And they're not happy. And Paul says to the church at Corinth, I speak to you as infants. He then goes on to write this about them. There's jealousy and strife among you. And so this morning, as we look 
Now, see, I told you. So as we come to open up this statement this morning, I want us to do so under three simple headings. First of all, we'll consider the definition. Secondly, we'll consider and or we'll consider illustrations. And then finally, some application. That's pretty simple. So first of all, the definition. Love is patient. Morathumeo is the Greek. And it is a compound word. Moroth means long, far off, distant. Thumos means temper, passion, emotion. It goes on to say it, it's to be furious or to burn with anger. So, so you put the two words together. What do you have? Well, it's like the King James says, long-suffering. There's a distance between you and your fiery passion. It describes a prolonged restraint of emotion, anger, irritation. It means one's temper is long as opposed to having a short temper. You might know some people who you refer to as having a very hairpin trigger. It goes off so quickly. The picture of this word is that of a person in whom it takes a long time before fuming, or someone says, or before, break, before bursting into flames. This word focuses our attention on the idea of restraint, the capacity of self-control, despite circumstances that might arouse the passion or irritation from someone else. Paul's speaking here not about events, but he's talking about our dealing with one another. How we react to irritation or frustration in the home towards our spouse, towards our children, towards our parents. How we respond to irritation there at the workplace or in a social setting. You know, that, that time when, when you're at the grocery store and you have three items. And the person in front of you has 300, oh, that's a big exaggeration, but you get the picture. She, she has a number of items. And before she begins to empty her cart, she looks back at you and there you are holding two items. And then she looks forward and just starts emptying her cart and you stand there. And then finally when they've rung up all the items, she says, you know, I think I'll write a check. And so she gets her checkbook out. And you're thinking to yourself, 
Couldn't you have had the date and the name of the store on the check before you got up here? Maybe. I don't know where this illustration comes from. I don't know who acts like that, but you know. So how do you respond? How do you react? How do you react when you're getting ready to take a trip and you're on the plane and you're sitting there and the guy that comes up to sit beside you should have bought two seats. Now he's over on your seat. And you're sort of sitting there. And you're thinking, you know, I paid for this whole thing, I think. How do you respond? Or the person in front of you on that flight decides, I'm going to recline. And those are seat backs. So now you got this here and you got this here. Uh, how do we respond? The child that you save for the tenth time, pick up that toy off the floor and then you've stepped on it in your bare feet and it hurts. How do you and I respond? This is to be slow to anger with people who irritate you. I've talked about workplace. I've talked about social gatherings. I've talked about the family. How about in the church? How do we react to each other? When we might have different opinions about certain things here in the church. Castrostrum, one of the early church fathers says about this text, these words, this term is used of a man who is wronged, who has it easily in his power to revenge himself, but will not do so. It is a long holding out of the mind before it gives room to actions or passions that would be wrong. Mr. MacArthur says this, It is the ability to be wronged and wronged again and wronged again and have the power to retaliate, but never even think of it. That's what this is. I mean, I read that. It's like a dagger to my heart. You've been wrong, wronged again, wronged again. You have the power to do something, but it doesn't even enter your mind. I had to confess my sin. A lot of times it may not express itself outwardly, but it does enter the mind. It does. So love is slow to be aroused to resentment and bitterness. It does not retaliate even when attacked by an antagonistic person. I'm not going to seek revenge. And God keep me from bitterness and hard thoughts. Well, that's the definition 
illustrations? Well, who is by far the most long-suffering person we know? It's God Himself. There's a model. There's a model. It's not too hard to find some It's not too hard to find some models, but there's no greater model than God. God was long-suffering. Exodus 34 and verse 6, Then the Lord passed by in front of him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. He's slow the anger. The very essence of God is He's slow to anger. In Nahum 1 verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance? Puts very simply, Paul's saying, despising the riches of His goodness and His forbearance and His long-suffering. You despise it. This is someone who's constantly turning his back on God, despising His patience, His long-suffering. So some of you said week after week after week. And still have no relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you make light of that reality. And you're despising the long-suffering of God. God will one day judge the wicked. Today is the day of salvation. And some of you will leave here this morning again despising the patience of God. Refusing to bow your knee to Him and trust in His Son. A man by the name of Robert Ingersoll was an atheist. He lived in the last century. And he would often give a lecture against God. And in the midst of that lecture, he would stop And he would say this. He would look at his watch and say, I'll give God five minutes to strike me dead for the things I've said. And in that way, he mocked God. Because God didn't strike him dead. Well, somebody told this to a man by the name of Theodore Parker a godly Christian man. And Parker smiled and said this quote, And did the gentleman think he could exhaust the patience of the eternal God in five minutes? God is a patient God. Aren't you glad? If he weren't patience, I would have been wiped out a long time ago. 
And so when somebody wrongs me and I lose my patience, it makes no sense considering how patient God has been with me. When the parent says, I lost my patience with my child because I've told him again and again and again, and finally I just lost it, forgets how patient God's been with them. When the spouse loses their patience with their spouse, and we say something like, well, you know, I mean, I've told her, I don't know how many times, this is the way I want my shirts folded, and she's not doing it that way, and you lose your cool with her, and you think, man, you're losing your patience with her because she didn't fold your shirts a certain way. What has God done for you, man? What if He treated you the way you treat your spouse? Yeah, I'm upset because, you know, we had this meeting and I made it it known that I, I thought purple was the color the carpet ought to be. And you know what those deacons did? They picked blue. I can't believe they picked blue. What in the world's going on? And then you lose your patience with them over blue or purple carpet. And you, may, you may say, Pastor, these, these are exaggerations. They are. But I think you're getting the picture, right? How often we lose our patience with one another, with those that we're closest to, our spouse, with our children, with our parents. And yet God's been so patient with us. And then there's the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's one. Well, let me say this about God. I was just thinking about this one in my notes. That's why I didn't think about it. But we just, we just went through the book of Deuteronomy. Right? God, God told the people exactly what they were to do, exactly how they were to live, how they were to behave when they entered into the promised land. And then when now we're studying the book of Judges in Sunday school. And sometimes I sit there and say, wow, why doesn't God just wipe them out? It's not that they don't know. It's not that He hasn't told them. But man, we see the long-suffering of God over and over and over again in the book of Judges. There's the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah tells us He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He's like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, a sheep that is silent before his shearers, so he opened not his mouth. Hanging on a cross and being mocked. God in the flesh, remember, God in the flesh. Hanging on the cross and being mocked by human beings whom he created. If you be the king of the Jews, do this, do that. What does he do? You ought to be glad I wasn't Jesus, because I would have said, wipe them out. But he says, Father, forgive them, 
for they know not what they do. There are other models we can have. I mean, those are pretty high models, God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But we see, I look at Stephen. Stephen's an excellent picture of a man who, again, demonstrates patience. Slow to respond, being stoned. So here we have examples. And here's my question for each one of us. Which one of us should not be patient with others in light of how patient our Heavenly Father has been with us? And believe me, I'm preaching to myself. Genuine love is is patient. And doesn't have that hairpin trigger that goes off when things don't go our way or we'd like to think things done differently or someone irritates us because of their behavior. Love is patient. So having seen something of the definition and then seeing the illustrations, now I want to just close with application. And and there's two applications I want to set before you. When when it comes to this area of patience, I I was thinking about this too. I've heard it all my life. Never what? Pray for patience. You heard that? I've heard that. I thought it was sound advice, so I didn't. Didn't mean I didn't have trials. Right? The trial of your faith worketh patience. And so they say, don't pray for patience. But, but I was thinking, Lord, I need to pray for patience. Because in being patient, I'm more like my Savior. In being patient towards others, the grace and mercy of God is seen in me. Because, I mean, some may have a different temperament than I do, and, and some of you no doubt do, but, but man, patience is not something that just comes natural. Naturally, I tend to be very selfish. I want my way. I want things done the way I want them done, and in the time I want them done, so when I, when I walk into the doctor's office and my appointment's for 10.30 and the nurse meets me at the window and says, the doctor had an emergency, we're running about a half hour behind, my natural instinct is, hey, do you not know who I am and what I have to do today? Are you kidding? And I'm sure when I, if I did that as I walk away, they'd say, there's a man of God. No, no. No, no, if anything, Satan would use that to bear reproach upon the God that I say I love and I preach Lord's Day after Lord's Day. So the two words of application are these. It is only through the work of God that patience is established in our lives. It is through the work of God that patience is established in our lives. It is what? The fruit of the Spirit. What? 
Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One of the manifestations that the Spirit is active in my life and everyone who's been born again has the Spirit of God within him, and it's manifested one way is by our patience. It is only through the work of the Spirit of God that indwells us that we can give the, the supernatural fruit of patience as we walk in this world. I'm dependent upon God. It's His work in me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 6, Paul tells the Corinthians that they were to give themselves as servants of God in much endurance, in affliction, in hardship, in distress, in beating, in imprisonment, in turmoil, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit. How do I live in this world as light? How do I set myself apart from those of this world? Because I'm just like them. Left to myself, my natural being is depraved and, and there's no good thing within me. I'm selfish. I, I live for my own well-being. But when God saved me, all that changed. There was a radical change that took place. While it's growing, it was radical. So that now I no longer live for myself. I want to live for the glory of God. Now I want to shine as lights. Now I want to consider others more important than myself. Can you imagine if we lived in a world where love, genuine love, is known? And people consider others more important than themselves. Can you imagine what this world would look like? Can you imagine what our churches would look like if we have patience? Why, why do we have splits in the church? Why, why do we have anger towards one another in a church? I'm not saying we, I mean general. Because we don't love as we ought. And we don't do it because we're not dependent upon the Spirit as we ought. That's why Paul exhorts us, walk according to the Spirit and not to the flesh. Paul's praise that this transforming Spirit would be at work in our lives for His glory. And so we recognize we are dependent upon God for this fruit of patience to be manifested in our behavior. You can't do it on your own. And I would say this. If you're a man or a woman who demonstrates over and over and over again a lack of patience towards others without guilt and sorrow coming into your heart and the need to ask for forgiveness both from God 
and those perhaps that we lashed out at, it may be an indication that the true condition of your heart is not right with God. Because the fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit dwells within each one of us, is that of patience. Now we're growing, yes. We're growing. And we ought to be pursuing. But too many times I've seen individuals who've lashed out at others' individuals in anger and with that burning flame and have never sought to make it right. And that ought not to be the behavior of a genuine believer. Love is patient. So the first application, it is that only through the work of God that patience is established in our lives. But here's the other one. Here's the other application. And you're going to scratch your head for a minute. But here it is. It is through my act of obedience that patience is established in my life. It is through my act of obedience that patience is established in my life. It's it's a choice we make. And you may say, wait a minute! Did you not just say it's it's by the work of the Spirit in our lives that, that we grow in patience? Yes. And now are you saying it's our, it's our choice, it's, it's our determination to grow in patience and have patience? Yes. I did. Because both is true. Both is true. Same type of language that Paul uses there in Philippians. What is it, chapter 2? Work out. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it's God who works in you. Well, which is it? Am I to work or is God work? Yes. That's what we're saying. Let me, let me have you... I want you to turn to these so you can see it for yourself. Look over at Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. In verse 12... Paul writing to believers there at Colossae says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on, it's an activity that you're to do, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The term he uses, put on, is, is the very idea of when you got up this morning, you didn't lie in bed thinking, okay, I'm going to go to church, so I need to change clothes. So I'm going to lie here and just wait till the change takes place. No, you had to purposely get up and decide what clothes you were going to wear and then put them on. And that's the same language Paul uses here. Put on. Patience. Give yourselves to this act of obedience. And this is an imperative. It is a command. You're to do this. Look at Second, First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. 
We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. So, so he establishes this group of individuals. There, there are those who are what we might call um, unruly. There's some who are faint-hearted. There are some who are weak, and we need to admonish. We need to encourage. We need to help. And then notice the last thing, though. He says, but be patient with everyone. <laughs> That's a broad category. Now, you've got a few that are weak. You've got a few that are unruly. You've got a few who might faint. But listen, with everyone, you've got to be patient. With everyone, you've got to be patient. And then finally, look over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul comes here to, after setting forth the wonderful doctrines of the truth of Jesus Christ, he comes to chapter 4 and he gets ready to give the practical application to all this. And therefore, he says in verse 1, Therefore, in light of everything I've told you about Christ and His work, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. I mean, he says, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you with, with real passion. I'm, I'm not just indifferent, you know. I'm not, I'm not one of these guys that say, well, if you want. No, he says, I'm imploring you to walk worthy of your calling. Demonstrate by your life that you've been called by a holy God. And then he says, walk worthy of your calling with all humility, gentleness, with patience. Showing tolerance to one another in love. He says, you do this. You walk worthy of your calling. And that includes being a man marked by patience. In your home? Is your life marked by patience in your home? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really saddened by the number of spouses that get impatient with one another. I mean, I, we all, I know, we live in the flesh. It's, it's our natural thing to do, but it's wrong. In the church, at work, social gatherings, walk worthy of your calling with all patience. And so let me close by how I began <laughs> It is not my desire to ruin your Lord's Day. It is my desire to see us growing and pursuing patience which manifest the work of the Spirit within us and leads us to love as we ought to love. We read, again, we read this morning there in John 13. 
By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How? Because you have love for one another. And let me say this. When, when, when Paul says, love is patient, love is kind, don't just run past those. Those two things are, are the master key to the rest of the description set before us. You're only going to behave yourself unseemingly if you're not patient and kind. This is, this is the foundation upon which genuine love grows. And, and it's, to be honest, it's the thing that oftentimes we fail so much in. God is a merciful God. He will forgive. When we go to Him and confess our sins, He will forgive. And then we need to pursue it more diligently to have lives that are marked by genuine love which manifest patience towards those around us. God help us. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word and the direction that we receive from Your Word. Father, we pray that by the work of Your Spirit, these things would not simply enter our eardrums and then leave. But that, Father, it will have an effect upon us in how we live and act towards others. Forgive us for not demonstrating patience as we ought. And help us to be diligent in the pursuit of genuine love manifested in patience toward others. And, Father, we would pray this morning for some who may be listening to this, some who may be setting among us, who are despising the patience of God. For here we are, another Lord's Day, another time to hear from You and, and to worship You, and yet, Father, they will not bow their knee to You. Father, may You so work in their hearts and lives that today would be a day of salvation. Would You grant unto them faith and repentance For who knows when such patience will end and the wrath and judgment of God will fall upon them. Have pity upon them, we pray, and even bring them to Yourself and receive all the glory as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. closing, let us take our Trinity hymn books and turn to 286. 286. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. We could never do that when we're at odds with one another. We could never do that when we've grown in patience with each other. So I pray that as we sing this, we can sing this from a genuine heart of love. We want God's blessing. And therefore we pray that we will love one another. 286.
delighted that you worshiped with us this morning. We are having lunch and then the afternoon service around 1.45.